0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
1: And hello everyone, welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Hope you had a good weekend. A lot of field work got done, a lot of planning got done, and some farmers done, others uh, finally getting started. Uh, speaking of planting and weather, we'll talk weather with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson today, see what's ahead for us this coming week, and we're going to get a planning update for the Boone, Iowa area, look ahead to the Farm Progress Show coming up the end of August. Matt Youngman, Director of Trade Shows for Farm Progress, will be joining us a little bit later. Also on today's show, as we kick off the week, a look at USDA's plan for bioengineered food labeling. Uh, we have some information, but a lot more questions. We're going to delve into that topic coming up on today's show. But let's kind of set the stage for what's ahead this week. should be another interesting week as we talk with Sarah Wyant, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us.
2: Good morning, Mike. How you doing?
1: Very good. Well, I guess this is the week where um, Chairman Conaway kind of starts seeing how many votes he can put together for that Farm Bill vote. When, And I guess... Uh, When we hear when they're going to have it, that'll kind of give us an idea how strongly he feels he has the votes, right?
2: That's correct. He's going to be meeting with the American Enterprise Institute on Tuesday, trying to shore up the conservative base of support. It looks like he's going to need every Republican he can possibly get, Mike, in order to put this over the finish line in the House. And that's not really a done deal yet. He has received some... Fairly good comments from members of the Freedom Caucus suggesting that what he's done to make reforms in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or the food stamp program will ease their concerns and enable them to vote for the measure, but it's still a big if with a lot of folks. And this AEI meeting that he's going to on Tuesday I think is going to be very telling. I have to remember back in the last farm bill when I was, I think, the only agricultural journalist at the annual meeting for AEI, and their uh, lead speaker got up and talked about how they had defeated the farm bill on the House floor, and the entire room erupted in applause. Mike, it was Mm. just such a big deal for the American Enterprise Institute that they would defeat the farm bill. So I'm going to be really curious to see what kind of reception Chairman Conaway gets tomorrow.
1: And with all the focus and attention on the SNAP, the nutrition portion of the Farm Bill, there are certainly critics of the commodity title as well, and we've heard Colin Peterson say he's not real happy with that part of it either.
2: Well, absolutely, especially as prices stay relatively weak. There's a lot of interest in bumping up the reference prices under the Price Loss Coverage Program, and making further enhancements to the Agricultural Risk Coverage Program. And so those need to be altered in order to win some additional Democratic support. I do think that they may be adjusted a little bit more Senate side, but um, right now there's going to be critics coming after the commodity programs and crop insurance in ways that we've seen in the past, as well as every new kind of attack that you can imagine, because, Uh, These folks that don't like subsidies for the nutrition program don't like them for the farm side of the program either.
1: Hey, speaking of uh, subsidies and payments, uh, what's the latest you're hearing on cotton? And uh, are we headed down that same road again with WTO challenges and things like that?
2: As you may have seen, we actually sent our senior trade editor, Bill Thompson, to Brazil last week. And he had the opportunity to sit down with Brazil's ag minister, uh, that he only would agree to talk to him if he spoke Portuguese, and thank goodness Bill does. Uh, but he clearly said that that's on their radar screen, that they plan to challenge this new cotton program. Now, the folks in the cotton industry here in the U.S., of course, didn't like to hear that news, and uh, there were several who suggested that way it's written this time around to Help support seed cotton is so much different than it was in the past that it won't be challenged, but the bazillions certainly have it on their radar screen.
1: Well, last week we thought we might hear something on NAFTA. We didn't. Uh, what What are you hearing now on when there might be some type of an announcement?
2: Well, the folks that we had spoken to on NAFTA out of the White House had suggested that they were like 80 percent there, but apparently the other 20 percent didn't get done. So they're meeting again this week and hammering out what seems to be some additional details on payment rates for auto manufacturing and how much of a vehicle needs to be manufactured within the U.S. and then how much is going to have to be paid for people who work on those vehicles. And uh, if they get that done right, it should really build some additional support for both Republicans and Democrats that that might lift this thing through the House and the Senate when they get it done. Uh, We also hear a little bit, Mike, that they're still trying to get Canada to change their dairy program, especially their Class 7. Whether or not they're making any headway on that seems very elusive at this point. But I know that it is something the president had instructed negotiators to at least look at and to try to see if there was any changes that could be made.
1: What's your takeaway from last week's meetings, at least from what we've heard, uh, between uh, uh, high-level U.S. officials and Chinese officials?
2: Well, the spin seems to be that uh, we presented a list of different demands, and the Chinese pushed back pretty hardly on those. But they did say that they wanted to have a mechanism to at least address different disputes. And so I think that the first reaction was a lot of uh, chest beating in terms of, you know, we're not really doing anything wrong from the Chinese. But then an acceptance that there might be some concessions that could be made. Clearly, the U.S. negotiating team said that they don't want the Chinese to Retaliate against U.S. farmers or agricultural products. But, gosh, the Chinese know where the political pressure is most Hmm. effective. So I don't know. It's still very uncertain for all of our soybean growers and sorghum growers that are already feeling the front of these uh, tit-for-tat retaliation moves.
1: And finally, is there going to be another White House meeting on the RFS this week?
2: Yes and um, I'm you know we had heard that the president had already made a decision for year-round e15 uh, but that uh, this is a meeting to deliver the, the news more formally to Senator News and Senator Toomey the concern I think and that's why you're seeing groups like growth energy taking out full-page ads and major daily newspapers is that something may happen during this last meeting to uh, perhaps, uh, enable some other provision to be accepted. But um, it's, it's looking pretty good right now, the fact that uh, there will be strong ethanol senators in the room, pro-ethanol senators as well as those who are opposing. And all these news items about EPA issuing hardship waivers for what are not small refineries, mm-hmm. I, I don't think has helped uh, Mr. Pruitt make his case.
1: So hopefully some resolution finally to this issue.
2: Yeah, so many folks thought it was resolved a couple of weeks ago, uh, but uh, EPA Administrator Pruitt has uh, got to be able to follow through on this. So um, this is the most optimistic I've heard people about actually getting it resolved. But uh, sometimes you just never know until the the ink is actually dry, Mike. So you (laughs) have to stay ever vigilant on these issues.
1: Well, you do, and your staff, you do a great job. We always enjoy following your reporting. Thank you, Sarah. We'll talk again next week.
2: Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it.
1: Sarah Wyatt, editor, publisher of Agripulse Communications. Weather up next. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
3: In 1847, Hanson Crockett Gregory invented the donut. Genius. In 1908, Melita Benz invented the paper coffee filter. Genius. In 1928, Otto Frederick Rowetter invented sliced bread. Genius. In 1930, Ruth Wakefield invented the chocolate chip cookie. Mmm, genius.
4: There's genius, and then there's pure genius. At BASF, that's what drove us to develop Ingenia Herbicide, our most advanced dicamba formulation ever for dicamba-tolerant cotton and soybeans. It gives you a low-volatility solution at the lowest dicamba use rate ever offered, providing an additional side of action to outsmart the toughest weeds, even the glyphosate-resistant ones. Grow smart with Ingenia Herbicide from BASF, a flexible solution that's pure genius. Talk to your representative today. Learn more at IngeniaHerbicide.com. BASF, we create chemistry. Ingenia Herbicide is a US EPA restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label directions.
5: <laughs> All right, guys, we're ready for our four season sunroom, and Daddy's gonna get a rec room with refreshments.
3: Oh no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro.
6: It's a gym. My gym. <laughs> Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room.
3: Oh, no, wait. A family hub.
7: Yeah! No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since
0: 1975.
5: More reasons for four seasons
7: now to find out more call toll-free 800-988-4477 that's 800-988-4477 call 800-988-4477 today
5: hello i'm mike lindell the inventor of my pillow and like all of you out there i had problems sleeping And you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four My Pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four My Pillows. Two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order My Pillow at 800 871 7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four My Pillows for the price of one. Call 800 871 7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout, use promo code FARM11.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
7: Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: And joining us now, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, I was just thinking, um, it it must be much more fun to come in and uh, be able to deliver good news to people for a change. You've had, you had a rough uh, March and April when everyone was wanting uh, those good forecasts and we just weren't getting them, but the, the news much better weather-wise now.
8: Well, you know, it's there, there are two sides to it, Mike, because uh, when when it was as, uh, you know, difficult, uh, cool to cold, and, uh, and you know, kind of uh, uh, unpleasant on uh, the overall pattern uh, back during early to mid-spring, you uh, there were there were a lot of uh, folks who were very interested in the forecast and so from that standpoint uh... i i had probably a, a lot more attention let's put it that way it wasn't for the best of reasons of course but uh... now that it's all mild uh, and nice uh, in a lot of places everybody's just uh, kind of forgetting the the uh, forlorn weatherman you know <laughs> in the corner but that's okay well. Uh, it, we, is, it, is a, it is great to see how things uh, in, many, in many areas turned around uh, for a lot better activity.
1: We try never to forget you. We don't take you for <laughs> granted here. So, Well, let's talk about the week ahead. Uh, more field work going to get done?
8: Yeah, I think we're going to see quite a bit, except for a corridor in the northern belt. Uh, I break it at U.S. Highway 20 between uh, Sioux City and Dubuque, Iowa, Uh, northern Iowa, and then into uh, southern Minnesota, and then uh, moving eastward into Wisconsin. That's where the heaviest rain is going to be, and we could see two-inch rainfall in that part of the country. But otherwise, no more than maybe a a quarter to three-quarters of an inch uh, of moisture are going to um, move uh, into the rest of the Midwest. And uh, so we're going to see quite a bit of planting. In fact, uh, we could be close to uh, 40 percent on corn planting uh, in this afternoon's report four to five percentage points behind average so there was quite a bit done already last week and uh, temperatures this week are going to be pretty mild overall maybe not quite as warm as this past weekend but still not turning real cold right away and so that's going to be pretty good for crops to uh, germinate or for seeds to germinate and uh, early crop growth to get going.
1: Boy, here in west central Illinois, a lot of corn is up and, and looking very good here early on. What about out in the plains where it's been so dry, any relief for them?
8: There was some uh, late last week uh, that uh, central and eastern part of Kansas and then south into central Oklahoma had anywhere uh, from a half to possibly even one-and-a-half-inch rainfall. Now, that uh, heavier amount was uh, pretty isolated, but you saw widespread uh, half to three-quarter, maybe inch totals, so that's pretty decent rain, and uh, that uh, did help the wheat crop at least uh, stave off, you know, further damage. Now, farther west, uh, of moisture was uh, a lot less, no more than maybe about three-tenths of an inch in western Kansas, the Oklahoma and Texas Panhandle areas, and eastern Colorado. This part of the plains is still on the dry side, and I don't think uh, we're going to see very much in the way of uh, moisture this week because a lot of the focus is going to be over the northern plains and then into that north central part of the midwest so that's where the uh, moisture is going to kind of uh, congregate uh, whereas in the southwestern plains they're just going to be uh, kind of in the shadow of uh, any moisture that develops
1: i hesitate to use the word normal but are we are we settling into some type of Uh, Something like a a normal weather pattern for May now for much of the country?
8: I don't think we are yet. Uh, The the pattern in uh, our analysis is uh, still acting very similar to the pattern that we had to end last winter and go into uh, this early spring. Uh, The jet stream track is still uh, pretty robust over the northern half of the country, and uh, then it slides southeast uh, into the eastern Midwest. The only uh, difference is, is that uh, we've seen a moderation on the temperatures because, you know, the real cold air has finally moderated and has lifted uh, farther north into uh, the Hudson Bay area of Canada. But as far as the uh, general uh, tendency for uh, the southwestern plains and then on west to be dry and uh, the, the uh, energy to, like I say, focus more over the uh, northern uh, half of the country and then moving uh, southeast, that pretty much is still intact so we haven't completely gotten out of the pattern that we had uh, earlier this year it uh, has moderated some but uh, the general uh, the general look to it is still very similar to what we saw back in March and April
1: what about the pacific temperature uh, have you taken that uh, uh, that reading lately what does it show and uh, what does that indicate for us well,
8: well, I haven't taken the outrigger to Tahiti over the last uh, several days to, uh, to uh, actually put a thermometer in. But as far as uh, uh, keeping up on what the uh, various ocean buoys are saying, uh, those water temperatures are very close to average, Mike. And uh, the Pacific has moved pretty much away from La Nina and is now uh, just about definitely in a uh, neutral phase on temperatures and on the uh, various uh, wind patterns with the, uh, with the temperatures. So, uh, we're certainly, uh, getting, uh, very close to just about a dead neutral period in the Pacific. It still looks like the water temperatures might move into an El Nino phase by about, oh, let's say late September into October.
1: We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. What about, uh, South America?
8: This week, uh, there's actually going to be a little bit of good news in Brazil because the, uh, the uh, major uh, safrina crop areas are going to get a little bit of rainfall, especially in Paraná and uh, Mato Grosso do Sul. And this was the uh, area of the Brazil uh, safrina corn belt, Mike, that uh, has been quite dry recently. They could have anywhere from a half to maybe one and a half inch rainfall. Uh, that's not going to end things for a moisture deficit. It's not going to change the pattern any, but it uh, certainly is going to be, you know, pretty well used. And then. Uh, You know, it's kind of funny, Argentina has uh, had nothing but rainfall over the last uh, week to uh, two weeks now, and uh, this after a very dry growing season that they had. So now the rain that Argentina's getting is just causing uh, a lot of real headaches on harvesting what crops they do have available there. It's good for their wheat moisture, but it uh, is definitely hurting the uh, quality of their row crops, you know, as they try to finish harvesting
1: any other key weather developments around the world
8: well just to note that over in uh, russia and ukraine uh, the black sea region of the world uh, there had been a pretty dry spell during the uh, last part of april into early may but uh, russia got some rain uh, late last week and then this week ukraine is going to see some showers so it looks like the uh, wheat crop in that Black Sea area is going to get along pretty well this week. They maybe won't be uh, having uh, quite as big a crop as they had last year, but by no means is it going to be a a complete uh, drawdown in terms of uh, production. So the Black Sea is still looking pretty good on its uh, wheat crop total.
1: right. so again for our week ahead it looks pretty good, but there may be some delays uh, in the northern plains?
8: Right. Midwest. That's where the delays are going to be the most prominent this week.
1: And uh, go over those rainfall amounts again. Those areas could get up.
8: I think we could see a couple-inch rainfall, especially from the Minnesota-South Dakota state uh, across south-central Minnesota, northern Iowa, and then into most of Wisconsin. Uh, so the uh, the northern part of the Corn Belt is uh, still the area where a lot of delays are going to be pretty uh, prominent during the next uh, week to 10 days.
1: And your longer-range forecast, as far are we heading into uh, a really dry period, or do you see the showers continuing uh, at a pretty regular clip for a while? What are you seeing?
8: I don't think that we're going to uh, turn things uh, definitely to the dry side across the Midwest uh, during the Uh, balance of May and on into June. So, uh, you know, I don't think that the uh, Midwest areas are going to have to start drawing on uh, soil moisture reserves right away. There has been a a drier area in uh, southeastern Iowa and northeastern Missouri uh, during the last uh, six weeks or so, but uh, that portion of the Midwest did get some rainfall here recently. I think they're going to and, uh, unfortunately, I think the southwestern plains are going to stay dry. Kind of the uh, the tracks that we've seen here develop, I think, are going to stay with us now for probably another three to four weeks anyway.
1: Yeah, it won't be long. Uh, you know, a little different timing with the later planting. We'll be watching uh, those temperatures for that critical pollination period. They'll be here before we know it.
8: Yes, we will. Uh, I think that, you know, again, that... Late June to uh, July 10th time frame is uh, certainly going to be key in terms of that part of things for this year.
1: All right. Well, go check that water temp in Tahiti or whatever you do, okay? So we'll have that information next time.
8: With the tropical breezes (laughs) at my my, uh, head, yeah.
1: Well, Well, now that it's quiet and calm and everybody's paying attention, you know, you can just go do those things, right?
8: Oh, Easily. Easily. There's, there's absolutely <laughs> nothing ever uh, uh, happening. That's right.
1: That's true. All right. Thanks, Bryce. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome, Mike. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right. Coming up a little later, we will uh, talk about planting in the Boone, Iowa area, where the Farm Progress Show will be coming up at the end of August. But next, we're going to talk about food labels and the switch from GMO labels to... Uh, Bioengineered. We'll talk about USDA's proposal next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. We paid less for our craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago.
0: Time for a Market Check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A lack of progress in trade talks between the U.S. and China last week said to be hanging over the grain and oil seed sector on this Monday. The inconclusive ending is prompting bets that Chinese tariffs on U.S. agricultural goods are now more likely. Chinese buyers have already purchased fewer American soybeans in recent weeks on concerns that duties will go into effect before shipments can be delivered july soybeans tumbled to a weaker close on friday as the market continues a volatile back and forth within a choppy neutral range since mid-april july soybeans have been consolidating between support at ten twenty seven and three quarters and resistance at ten seventy eight the high from april thirteenth friday's weakness tugging july beans toward the bottom of that recent range This week, the focus will be on trading action around support at 1027 and three quarters. That's currently in the rear view mirror. If the zone gives way, it could open the door to a retreat towards 1014. An hour into the trading day, July soybeans down 14 and a fraction, 1022 and a half. New crop November's daily chart said to be a bit messy. Support near 1024 and three quarters. We're trending at 1026 down. 11 and a fraction in corn sliding four to five cents lower on this Monday. Wheat futures nine to 11 lower in Chicago and Kansas city, 11 to 12 cents lower in Minneapolis spring wheat livestock at the Merck starting the week on the defensive live cattle futures trending 55 to a dollar lower dollar 17 to a dollar 40 lower in feeder cattle lean hog futures June near unchanged 73 55. The Dow up 187 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Do you need
9: a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit?
0: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: All right, welcome back. So USDA unveiled its GMO disclosure rule for food labels, but uh, they've changed it from GMO, and now the term they're going to use is bioengineer. But there's still a lot of questions about how this is going to work and what are they going to do with gene editing and what are they going to do about uh, uh, in gmo ingredients in food how much you have to have before that requires a label and things like that so we got a lot of questions let's delve into this joining us now from the american farm bureau federation uh their director of congressional relations andrew Walmsley. andrew thanks for joining us uh even though we know a little more about usda's labeling plan seems like there's a lot we don't know at this point
10: yes thanks mike for having me on uh yeah we've got about 100 pages we're, we're going through on the on the rule, uh, we're grateful though that USDA has uh, moved forward in this process. You know, this has been uh, uh, something that Farm Bureau has been involved with for several years now. But way back to when we were trying to avoid a patchwork of, of state labeling uh, regulations, and then we had the issue in Vermont, and obviously came together with a lot of our other friends in the food industry to to support this bill that ultimately is giving uh, these rules that we're looking at now. So it's been a, a long process, a lot of discussion, and now it's really where the rubber meets the road on uh, what's this rule going to look like, and, and this was an important step we saw from USDA putting out their proposed regs at the end of last week.
1: Yeah, and you that's a good point. We back up. We remember when that whole issue was so hot, and we were worried about Individual states having their own uh, labeling requirements, and just have this hodgepodge across the country. And uh, it was kind of uh, the consensus we need a more universal, a standard uh, system here. So USDA has been working on it. They come out with this. Let's start right up front. There. Instead of using GMO, which has such a negative connotation to so many people, the the term now is going to be bioengineered, right?
10: Yeah, and that was something that was specific in the legislation dealing with that term because. Uh, uh, GMO means a lot of different things to different people. Uh, you could argue that pretty much everything we eat has been genetically modified since we stopped being hunters and gatherers. So I don't know how scientifically defensible or how, how useful the word GMO or, or genetically modified is. And so USDA was directed uh, to utilize the term bioengineered, and that's really getting more of the heart of what uh, we believe consumers want to know more information about are those foods that, that are bioengineered, and, and that's what USDA is working with.
1: So then, you got all kinds of uh, variations there. It could be bioengineered, bio, bioengineered food ingredient, or could be a special label, different different labels, or a, or a scannable uh, code. I mean, there's a lot of options here too.
10: Well, and that's what was important about uh, you know for our farmers and ranchers to be able to support this leg- legislation originally was was having that ability to, to provide transparency, which we recognize consumers want but doing it in a way that wasn't overly burdensome or wouldn't unnecessarily increase food costs for consumers or for food companies, um, and also potentially provide some disadvantages to different farmers. We we utilize different methods in agriculture, right, and we're all the above approach. So that's what was important uh, in uh, originally with the legislation and now with this rulemaking is those options are out there. And so USDA is wanting feedback. That's part of what this 60-day public comment period will be. But one of the backbones that we thought was important outside of protecting interstate commerce amongst the states was those different disclosure options for food companies. So they can utilize a couple of symbols that USDA wants feedback on. They can utilize text. Or what's really important for us is this electronic disclosure because – it's really difficult to tell the story of agriculture with a couple sentences on a, on a package or one sentence on a package. So, uh, providing the ability for consumers to go to a website or take their smartphone and scan and get more information, not just about bioengineered ingredients, but hopefully the opportunity for us in agriculture to kind of tell our story and do what we, what why we do what we do, uh, to provide such you know affordable and safe, nutritious food to consumers.
1: Yeah, for what has been viewed at times as perhaps a negative for agriculture could be used as a positive, that's for sure. We're talking with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Now, Andrew, what about the question of, uh, I mean, biotech or bioengineered ingredients within a food product, uh, have they determined, like, what percentage has to be met uh, of an, you know, as far as ingredients are concerned being bioengineered before the entire product has to be labeled, or uh, has that been determined yet?
10: Well, those are kind of the two big questions from from our view and what USDA is wanting feedback on uh, is really uh, does it contain uh, the ingredient, does it con- contain the bioengineered food, the DNA itself, uh, and, what, and at what threshold is labeling triggered? We think the law is really clear, uh, and this is how we understood it working with Congress, that the food had to contain the genetic material. So a lot of your refined products you take sugar and, and some other oils and the like uh... they might have been grown with modern technology and modern agriculture but once they're refined they are no different than their conventional counterpart sugar is sugar in the end and so our view uh... along with several others in ag is that uh, those those ingredients don't have to be mandatorily uh... labeled if a food company wants to disclose that information they they have the ability to do that especially with electronic disclosure and do that in a voluntary fashion uh, we we are going to tell the agency and, and support ask our members to support the idea that it has to actually contain that genetic material. That was the intent of Congress. And then the other issue is on thresholds. You know, if you set a, uh, about a 5% threshold level, uh, there is no international standard, but those countries, uh, and you would hope the U.S. would continue to be one that welcomes innovation in agriculture, should set it closer to that 5% threshold and not something lower where it, it shows that there's some concern over the bioengineered ingredient. I mean, that's the point to remember in all this, again, that this isn't a health or safety issue. This isn't an FDA rule. Uh, This is being administered by the Ag Marketing Service. This is a marketing standard, the same agency in USDA that does the organic program. So there's not a health or safety concern here. It's just providing information to consumers, and we want to make that as easy and transparent as possible.
1: But there are certainly those who want to make it a health issue, and I've just got a feeling that however this plays out, the critics of biotechnology are are not going to be satisfied and happy with this, and trying to find some kind of middle ground is really going to be a challenge.
10: Well, but there's also the folks out there, I like to call them conflict entrepreneurs. You know, They, they make money vilifying modern ag, and, and so they've got to create that conflict. I think, unfortunately, science isn't on their side. I mean, you look at all the agencies that regulate these products from – USDA to EPA to FDA, uh, they they see no difference between uh, any other food product out there. Every major health safety organization around the world has not found issues with these foods, so it really isn't a health or safety issue, it's not a science issue, and you know we've come together now to provide the transparency that we believe consumers want in a very useful way um, that doesn't have a derogatory label attached to it. So hopefully some of the wind might be taken out of their sails, but I'm sure we'll still uh, be working with all sides to try to get this rule across the finish line.
1: Now gene editing is an emerging technology. Secretary Perdue has said that uh, for the most part USDA will kind of leave that alone when it, uh, for regulating, uh, as far as regulating such food. So uh, does that, what does that tell us about how that will be handled in this labeling issue?
10: Well, it's our view, and what we'll also put into our comments is that gene editing isn't uh, covered under this rule. That the definition for bioengineered food is is very specific. I mean, gene editing is a, is an awesome tool that we see uh, providing opportunities in agriculture, from large crops to small crops to our land grant universities that really hold a lot of potential going forward for agriculture, and you know. USDA is not saying they're not regulating gene editing, period, but just certain instances of its use where you might be able to, to do this uh, through conventional breeding. It just takes a lot longer. You're, you're more efficient with gene editing, or it could be accomplished in nature. This is, gene editing doesn't mean it's transgenic like we think about with bioengineered. So there really are two different processes. Uh, we want to keep to see those uh, you know processes kept apart. We have no problem telling folks about what we're doing in ag, but once again, the bioengineered standard is, is for a specific uh, type of, of breeding that's utilized in ag, a certain type of technology that consumers want information, and so that's what we'll encourage USDA to stay focused on as they finish crafting these rules.
1: So how far do you think we are away from seeing these labels or having these, uh, these scannable codes in place?
10: Well, folks have got till July 3rd to provide input to USDA. They are under a statutory deadline to get out a final rule by the end of July uh, I don't know if they're going to make it you know there's uh, we had a transition there was 30 questions the agency had asked for back in August you know there's a lot of interest in this so uh, but their goal for where we're actually going to start seeing food companies comply and seeing on package information uh, will be in 2020 is what the rule proposes at this point and so we'll see as we get through the summer as they take in comments if they're able to meet that.
1: Yeah, so we don't know the final, but based on what you're seeing so far, is agriculture uh, happy? Uh, is Farm Bureau happy with what you're seeing uh, in this first proposal?
10: Well, I think w- we're happy that we're moving the process forward. That that you know this was an important step to actually have a rule to look at. We're still analyzing it. Um, we think USDA is asking the right questions and looking for the right feedback. So yeah, it's it's a it's a positive development. There's nothing, I think, at this point that has us too concerned as of just gone through the 100 pages or so once uh, since Friday, but we'll, we'll continue to look at it. We'll develop comments, but it's an important process to, to move forward so consumers are getting the information they need.
1: It is a work in progress. You mentioned earlier when we had those states like Vermont and others are looking at doing their own. Is all that on hold now uh, on a state-by-state basis, or where does that stand?
10: Yeah, so that was part of the legislation in the bioengineered food disclosure law um, that preempted states from labeling. So it was the idea that you know this was an issue of interstate, Congress, or interstate commerce and an issue for Congress to address I mean, if you look at Vermont's law once again it wasn't a health or safety standard Um, a lot of their in-state products were exempted and so you know a lot of us were saying you know this is this is a conflict with interstate commerce and it's Congress's role and so those states have have been preempted um, and this is an important process to respond to those needs that were in Vermont and to all consumers on providing information in a uniform way so we don't have a confusing patchwork of different state laws
1: All right, so we'll be watching this uh, as it develops uh, throughout the summer. Thank you, Andrew. Yes, sir, thank you. Take care. Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Coming up next, a Farm Progress Show update. We'll talk with Matt Youngman, Director of Trade Shows for Farm Progress. It's coming up August 28th, 29th, and 30th in Boone, Iowa. Are they finally underway with planting? How much do they have done there? Matt Youngman will give us an update, a Farm Progress Show preview next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
5: my home state of Minnesota. I have a 10-year warranty, and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever: get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right, get four my pillows: two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code. Farm 11. Get four MyPillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to MyPillow.com and at checkout use promo code FARM11.
7: Reason number 12 why you should own a ThermoSpas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the ThermoSpas unique built-in thermo filtration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance call to receive a free dvd and brochure and find out how you can own a thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day right now they're offering zero percent apr financing with approved credit and a one thousand dollar savings coupon including free delivery free chemicals and a cash discount
3: Around 3500 B.C., someone used basic tools and slabs of wood to invent the wheel. Genius. In 1879, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Genius. In 1899, a Norwegian with degrees in electronics, science,
4: and mathematics invented the paperclip. Genius. There's genius. And then there's pure genius. At BASF, that's what drove us to develop Angenia herbicide, our most advanced dicamba formulation ever for dicamba-tolerant cotton and soybeans. It gives you a low-volatility solution at the lowest dicamba use rate ever offered, providing an additional side of action to outsmart the toughest weeds, even the glyphosate-resistant ones. Grow smart with Angenia herbicide from BASF, a flexible solution that's pure genius. Talk to your representative today. Learn more at IngeniaHerbicide.com. BASF, we create chemistry. Angenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label directions.
1: I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Devorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, the hard
3: part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking departments. Maryland, forty-nine, Oregon DM 31
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: And it's time for a Farm Progress Show preview brought to you by Acuron Corn Herbicide from Syngenta, an upgrade for growers who don't settle for average. Joining us is Matt Youngman, Director of Trade Shows for Farm Progress. Matt, thanks for being with us. August 28th, 29th, and 30th, Boone, Iowa. We're watching those dates, uh, marking them on the calendar. In the meantime, are they finally in the fields around uh, Boone, Iowa there and on the show site?
6: Yes, we are all squared away. All of the corn that we need to, to do our work in August is in the ground. It, it was in about a week ago and, uh, you know, got a lot of support from the host farmers and the input providers that they use. And then uh, John Deere stepped forward and did the secondary tillage and the planting and got it all in basically in about a 24-hour window. So, um, big thanks to them. Went in in good shape. And I'm going to be there uh, Thursday of this week so hopefully get a firsthand view of it. It should be up by now, at least from what I can tell uh, of things that got planted around here. It ought to be up and, and be able to row it by now.
1: I know that is a relief for you because as we talked before you have a very tight window to make sure you have uh, those crops ready for the field demonstrations at the end of August uh, so when it starts getting to be a delayed planting uh, situation that puts a lot of pressure on
6: That's that's exactly right you know the the thing you worry about is that you get wet and you start missing a lot of heat units that that would have been would have been getting that corn up and out of the ground and you know it's kind of a it, it's it's a thing that just adds day by day when it comes to heat units. So while it was probably a little bit late, you know, we really because of such a cold spring, we really didn't miss any heat units. So um, I feel like we got the corn in the ground on a day on a date when when it's gonna get it, it's got its best chance of, of making it for showtime because it's gonna get whatever heat comes through the summer.
1: And of course, planting for the Farm Progress Show a little different. You got a lot of uh, different things. Not only you got the uh, you know time period to work with to be ready by the end of august but you've got a lot of uh, a lot of exhibitor plots and different things that have to be done how give us an update on how all that's going
6: you know that's that's going really well and, and you're right you know the the planting process of the show isn't just go out and, and put three passes of endros on and then and then plant it the long way it, you know it, you have to be very thoughtful and and you know i, I would hope that that david moline from john deere Uh, would know how much we appreciate the work he puts in to to make sure that it's right because he's just on the phone with me almost constantly saying okay I'm here at the the southwest corner of 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 Alan Schof's field and 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 you wanted to have what here and I've got to kind of talk him through and make sure that you know we're we're running the short way and and you're you're kind of thinking through okay now this is Thursday of the field demonstration so I want to have the crowd here and I want to run the combines this direction and the prevailing wind is out of the west, and I don't want that to be in the visitors' faces. And it's just kind of a lot of, a lot of forethought so that it comes off so that we're, we're setting the stage for the demonstrations to come off just as well as you can. And, and some of those things, uh, you know, a lot, of this, a lot of this job, a lot of this event organizing is, is laying groundwork with the, with the end game in mind so that we're, we're, we're setting it up for the greatest opportunity for success.
1: So for now, you can breathe a sigh of relief on, on the planting part of it. Uh, what else is going on right now getting ready for the
6: show? So, um, you know, for those exhibitors that might happen to be listening, I can tell you that your lot assignment email will be in, in your inbox by this afternoon. It's, it's, it's a lot of that kind of background thing where we've, we've now gotten the grid built, the, the exhibit field built, and, and the exhibit field just almost full already. And so, you know, you do all that puzzle work. Uh, basically, from from the first of March to now is when the the, the puzzle is coming together, and so we, we have that built. Uh, pretty soon, you'll be able to go to farmprogressshow.com and take a live look at the exhibit field of, of where everybody's located, and and kind of start clicking around and and figuring out what your what your day in August is going to look like when you come visit the show. So, that's a you know there's lots of there's lots of big milestones. You get the field demos planted, and then the next one is you get the you get the lot assignment. Uh, note out to the exhibitors to tell them, you know, where their, where their location is. And there's a lot of background behind that. You know, we need to have all of our exhibitor policies in place and we need to have all of our uh, pressure washing and landscape and tenting type vendors squared away so that those exhibitors can, can start calling their vendors and saying, okay, I'm on lot 256 and I need this size of tent and call their landscaper and start getting those kind of details squared away. So it's, you know, it, it, it's nothing terribly exciting, but it's all of the back of house Detail things that it takes to, to make sure that it comes off smoothly in August.
1: Yeah, you move from one deadline to another. We're talking with Matt Youngman, director of trade shows for Farm Progress. Farm Progress show coming up August 28th 29th and 30th in uh, Boone, Iowa. You know, so a, a lot of a lot of these things you have in place. You know, each year this is what we have to do at this certain time. But then there's always you're always trying to add something. Uh, there's tweaks. Uh, you're looking at. Obviously, it's a Farm Progress Show, so you want to stay up to date, current on the very latest. So, when you put together this year's show, and you've you've been in that planning stage for some time now, uh, what have you? What are you going to add to this year's show that we may not have seen in the
6: past? Well, that, that's a great point. You know, it used to be when the show moved around from site to site, the new thing was the location. You know, it was it was a new host mm-hmm. farmer on a new piece of ground, and and that had a lot of good things with it and a lot of bad things too. You know, it was always a new traffic route that we had to test out on day one. But, um, you know, with with the move to permanent sites, a lot of the, you know, a a lot of the thing that that we try to make sure we spend our time on is making sure it's a brand-new Farm Progress show. It's not a rehash of the 2016 show. While the 2016 show was three great days and it was, you know, demos were perfect and everything everything went great, we want to make sure that we're doing our part to – to make the show fresh and new and you know we're so we're working on uh working on things like a noon show uh that'd, that'd be going on after the combine demonstrations and tiling demonstrations um there's a couple uh there's a couple really cool things that i can't quite talk about yet but i can assure folks that it'll be a, a brand new and fresh 2018 show uh with some with some really uh special components added to it um you know it, it's uh it, it's kind of fun to be in on the the, the backside of, of some of these things mm-hmm. as they start to come together and and those are just things that that we're doing but I, I always say that you know there people are not necessarily there to see anything that we are doing they, they are there to see what the exhibitors have to offer and the the hard work that the right. exhibitors put into the into the show is, is what really makes it special
1: All right Matt we'll be staying in touch talking with to you every couple of weeks uh, to keep people updated on the show thanks a lot
6: thanks a lot Mike
1: matt youngman director of trade shows for farm progress and this farm progress show preview brought to you by acuron corn herbicide from syngenta an upgrade for growers who don't settle for average well thanks for joining us today have a great day everyone be sure to tune in again tomorrow for aoa Adams on agriculture have a great day
3: In 1847, Hanson Crockett Gregory invented the donut. Genius. In 1908, Melita bentz invented the paper coffee filter. Genius. In 1928, Otto Frederick Rowetter invented sliced bread. Genius. In 1930, Ruth Wakefield invented the chocolate chip cookie. Mmm, genius.
4: There's genius, and then there's pure genius. At BASF, that's what drove us to develop Ingenia Herbicide, our most advanced dicamba formulation ever for dicamba-tolerant cotton and soybeans. It gives you a low-volatility solution at the lowest dicamba use rate ever offered, providing an additional side of action to outsmart the toughest weeds, even the glyphosate-resistant ones. Grow smart with Ingenia Herbicide from BASF, a flexible solution that's pure genius. Talk to your representative today. Learn more at IngeniaHerbicide.com. BASF, we create chemistry. Ingenia herbicide is a U.S. EPA-restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label directions.